You're listening to Midlife State of Mind Podcast, hosted by Aaron Beadle and Belinda Fleming, two gals who dish on all the challenges and opportunities that come with this middle section of your life. Each episode, you'll find yourself going between laughter and tears as they cover all the topics you need to know about midlife. Welcome back to Midlife State of Mind. We're your hosts, Erin Beadle and Belinda Fleming. Welcome listeners to another exciting episode of our podcast. We are so excited about growing our listenership and we want to shout out today a special thank you for all of our listeners that download week after week in Colorado. We love the Rocky Mountains and no matter what corner of the state you live in, we are so grateful for your presence on our podcast. If any of the episodes that we have shared resonate with you, we would love for you to leave us a five-star rating and a written review. It definitely helps us to grow the Midlife State of Mind podcast community. In today's episode, we're going to be sharing some of our favorite books. Belinda and I are both avid readers. We both are always reading at least one book. Books have this amazing ability to transport you and take you away without ever having to leave your home. Books definitely hold unique power, regardless of fiction or nonfiction. They have the ability to whisk us away to different times and places and even give us different perspectives. So today we'll start with our favorite nonfiction book. Yes, so nonfiction, how I always remember is when I was a little girl and would go to the library and they would say fiction or nonfiction, and I'm like, I always think of fiction as being fake. Mm-hmm. And nonfiction is being not fake. I don't know if that is a helpful little tidbit for people who are trying to remember what each thing means. So nonfiction books often can be memoirs or self-help. I want to share my favorite nonfiction book. When I was going through my yoga therapy training certification, one of the books that I was introduced to was a book called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And I just love saying that name. He is a doctor. He runs the trauma center in Boston. And this book explores the impact of trauma on the body and the brain, and it offers insights into innovative treatments from neurofeedback and meditation to sports, drama, and yoga that offer new paths to recovery by activating the brain's natural neuroplasticity. This book, for me, was just, I often joke and say that it basically changed my life, but it's not a joke. I mean, if you were to look at my copy and see all the highlighted passages and things that I've gone back to, it's one of the few books that I've read, or a few nonfiction books that I've read numerous times. I've actually recommended this book to so many people. They've bought it, and they've also said that it's a very powerful book. I want to share a couple of key takeaways from the book that I took away. One of the really startling things for me reading this book was that finding out that my brain is wired for survival and not happiness. I was like, what do you mean? Like, I thought my brain was supposed to make me happy. But we've talked about the amygdala, the reptilian part of your brain, and that is the part of your brain that's basically keeping you alive. It's always on the lookout for danger. The other thing that was really impactful for me was like realizing that when this book deals a lot with trauma and that they call it big T and little T, so big trauma, little trauma. So big trauma might be being a victim of domestic violence or maybe having some other kind of very life-altering experience. Mm -hmm. Little trauma could be a car wreck or it could be your parents got divorced but the key point that he makes is that those can affect people quite differently so your little t could be a big t to me 
So mm-hmm. for you, maybe it just rolls off you and you're able to go on. Whereas for me, it might actually change my DNA epigenetic. And so that was something that I felt that, oh, okay, so every person has a unique capacity for experiences. And so for one person, something might just not be that big of a deal. The same experience or someone else could have a very profound impact The other thing that the imprints from the past that we have experiences in the past can be transformed by having physical experiences that directly contradict the helplessness, rage, and collapse that are part of the trauma. And so the book really teaches us self-mastery and how you can take back your power through different ways. One of those ways that is the top-down method, which is by talking, if you think of like traditional therapy, so if you go to a therapist and you pour out your heart and soul and they talk you through things and you almost rationalize through it. And that's the standard way that most people think about dealing with things in their life, right? Is they think, I'll go to therapy. The second way he talks about is by taking medication to help you silence the alarms that are going on in your body from prior traumas. So it might be through like SSRIs or maybe the benzodiazepines like Xanax. And none of these ways are right or wrong. But the way that he really focuses on is the bottom down method, which is by allowing your body to have experiences that deeply and viscerally rewire your central nervous system. So things like yoga, things like theater, drumming, all of these practices that really bring you into your body, Mm -hmm. teaching you to feel safe within your own body again. Now, he says that for some people, one method may be more impactful and have more of a therapeutic effect, but some people need all three. Some people just need top down. Some people just need bottom down. So when I read the book, it really helped me make a lot of sense about my reactions, my heightened central nervous system from episodes that have happened in my past. And it made me realize that whether it's a big T or a little T, that letting yourself just be a duck, which is I think how I spent the majority of the first half of my life and letting things roll off me, will don't serve you well. Mm-hmm. So highly recommend The Body Keeps the Score. So, so one of the books that I chose to share about today is titled What I Think About When Running. And this is a nonfiction book. It's written by Haruki Murakami. And he reflects on his experiences and his thoughts during his long-distance running sessions. And what's interesting is that he became a runner later in life. Not, It isn't like this is something he's done his entire life. And he has written other books. And he decided to share his passion for long-distance running in this book. And it's a very quick read. Throughout the book, he explores the different parallels between running and writing. And he discusses how both of these require discipline, dedication, and mental resilience. What's interesting is we have some future episodes how we talk about, oh, what what do we want to share for future episodes? And we'll eventually get to resilience, right? So I thought it was interesting that he says that in both pursuits, and you could use it in any pursuit that you have. If you're a runner and then you also have some other interest that you love as far as your occupation that you may see the same parallels. So he dives into his own journey as a runner and he recounts his training routine, his experiences from running different races, and also how running 
just really brings this meditative quality to his life. And I can relate to all of this also being a runner because I find that when I have been out of the habit of training for a race, it takes me a while to get to the point where I don't need to rely on music because I truly love music, but I tend to lean on the music when I'm building up my mileage. Once I get to a certain level, it is a meditative experience for me and I can ditch the music. So thinking about running long distance, you have to have strategies for how you're marking the time that's passing, especially if you're running a marathon. And I think about being assigned to a really important project at work and there's a parallelism there. Like how are you going to keep your perspective, stay on task and really stay engaged? And so it's interesting what's happening in the mind when you're doing something that you're really engrossed in. I have found that running is something that gives me balance and I find it as a fulfilling experience. And it's interesting that he touches on different glimpses of how it has affected his life in a profound way. So I highly recommend the book. It's a very quick read, especially if you might be struggling with creativity of the mind when you are doing something that requires you to be more disciplined and focused. Does that make sense? Trying to find the balance? Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about fiction. Fictional books would be, I think of them as novels that like transport you to another place and time. Maybe you're a fan of romance novels. Maybe you're a fan of historical fiction. Maybe you're a fan of suspense or whodunits. My mom, I always laugh because I always say my mom, she loves really easy reads, like just things that she doesn't have to think about. And she loves to read murder mysteries, things like the chocolate chip cookie murder or the pumpkin pie debacle or whatever and I always make fun of her because she reads these really I consider them trite but everybody has their own opinion on what they want to read so my book is a book that I think I read this book back in let's see 2006 Mm -hmm. I think or 2005 it's called The Alchemist by Paula Colo and it's an allegorical novel about an Andalusian shepherd boy named Santiago that's a mouthful right and the book is it was written in when Paulo wrote it he's a very prolific writer he's written a ton of books he wrote this particular book in about a week or something he wrote it so fast because he said the story was inside of him and it just had to come out so Santiago is a little shepherd who lives in Andalusia and he has a dream one night about a treasure in a ruined church he is in a ruined church and he dreams this dream about this treasure so he consults a fortune teller about the dream and she tells him that he will discover a treasure at the Egyptian pyramids Mm. so he sets off to find the treasure and eventually he hooks up with this English man who is searching for an alchemist which if if you don't know what alchemy is alchemy is the art of taking things like tin or aluminum and turning them into gold you can't really do it but for years there was this whole pursuit of turning non-precious metals into precious metals And so he meets up with this Englishman and along the way, he meets and falls in love with an Arabian girl named Fatima and he proposes marriage to her, but she agrees to marry him. But after he completes his journey, she doesn't want to hold him back, which I'm like, what people do for true love, right? There are several, you know, mishaps that happen along the way. He ends up waylaid and some working in this glass shop. 
He eventually reaches the pyramids and he's digging, he's searching for this treasure and he's reached his destination. And as he's digging, he ends up getting robbed by these marauders. And as they are robbing him and they're asking him like, what are you doing? Like, why are you digging here at the pyramids? He tells him, I'm searching for treasure. I had this dream. And all of them kind of scoff at him. But the leader tells him, I once had a dream about a treasure that was under a tree near a ruined church. And and all of a sudden he realizes that, oh my gosh, the place that he had the dream about the treasure was in that ruined church because he was slept out in the fields like a shepherd does with their sheep. But he ended up sleeping in this ruined church. So the whole time the treasure that he sought was where he started. Wow. So he goes back, gets the treasure, and then he goes and gets Fatima and they get married and they live happily ever after. I love it. So it was just to me like that what you're searching for is within you is basically the takeaway. It was like such a powerful book that I read. I think it was at a time in my life when I just had my third child and I was like, what am I doing? Like, what is my purpose? And it's your purpose is right where you're at. And it really resonates because so many of us can relate to that. Yeah, he's a good storyteller, and it is a quick read. Also, it isn't a stressful, intense read. And your mom has she read it? She might even enjoy it. I don't know. I'll have to see if I can get her to put down the chocolate chip cookie murder. <laughs> <laughs> so the fiction book that I want to share today is called The Paper Palace, and it's a novel by Miranda Cowley Heller. It really talks about the complexities of relationships and memories that we have over the course of childhood that we might carry relationships into adulthood. It's actually a New York Times bestseller, but I saw a meme the other day that said every book can't be a New York Times bestseller, but sometimes <laughs> doesn't it feel like every book has that written on the cover? Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, the readers of this book, for me personally, you're getting kind of drawn in instantly by the, the main character. It's set in a backdrop of Cape Cod, and it is really about relationships and secrets and it's things that are happening over a summer in July is where it all takes place. You find yourself going along and she's very detailed about the flowers, the meadow, the weather and so you always get this visual imagery of what's taking place and this is the main reason why I always think books are better than movies. My imagination is so much more vivid and how the author draws you in with, with the details. So then I'm usually a little bit disappointed. And obviously this one isn't a movie, but I'm just saying that there have been a lot of books that I've read. The books are always better. And you, you get way more information in a book than you do from just a, a caption of one situation flashing across the screen. So without divulging specific details, Elle's life, she's trying to make some choices and it actually is shedding light on choices that she had already made in her life. Then she's realizing the impact that it has on everybody around her. It has themes of forgiveness. It has this intricate tapestry of human relationships, and we all know how detailed and intimate it is. I think of just literally the, all the threads that weave together to make a tapestry. So basically, we get to reflect on the connection that we forge. We get to connect on the level of complexity 
of different decisions that we make and also the healing that takes place when we are, you know, faced with adversity. So Miranda Cowley Heller, she skillfully talks about the interplay of memory and she weaves in this element of desire. Again, without giving it away, it is really about the dynamics of relationships and the strength of the human spirit. I believe that this is a captivating tale of a summer spent in Cape Cod, and I loved reading it because it takes me away from my own daily intricacies of my own life, and maybe there were some parallelisms, maybe not, but I believe that throughout the story, it is definitely a journey of what the human experience is like in relationships and families and with our children. She has an interesting relationship with her mother. It dives into her relationship with her husband and how she really finds herself trying to make hard decisions that will affect the lives of everyone around her. So I highly recommend the book. To me, the thought of having to write a book is so overwhelming. Like, I don't think I would ever be able to do it. I love to read and I'm such an avid reader. But when a book is able to dive into deep characterization and create a picture in your mind through descriptions of scenery and all of that, it's one of my favorite things to do is to read. And this book takes you into her childhood, then brings you to the present moment drifts you back to situations that might really be why she's the way that she is and experiences that she's had. And that is very interesting to me that the author has the ability to, it's as if this person really walked on this earth. I was going to say, like she, they had that experience and yes, she's writing it from first I mean, experience. you're right. It is unbelievable the intelligence capacity and the emotional intelligence capacity that writers have to create these beautiful, amazing, Amazing stories. It is. It, it is quite. It, it it's is. an undertaking. I have the most respect for a really talented writer. Yeah. In, it, in awe. And the power that every book that we've read, there are books that I have reread because they were so transformative. And that goes for fiction and nonfiction. So I feel like as long as we are transported, as long as we are experiencing and experience, we'll just keep reading for the rest of our life. I definitely want to read for the rest of my life. I love it that much. Me too. Well, in closing, I wanted to share a quote written by a Greek Stoic philosopher, Epictetus. And he says, don't just say that you have read books. Show that through them you have learned to think better. I love it. You can't just read to read. You read because it has a, an impact on you and it leaves its mark. I love it. We'd love to hear from our listeners. What are your favorite books? Head to our socials at Midlife State of Mind Podcast, IG, and Facebook and drop us your favorite books. Until next time, keep turning those pages and also check out our show notes. We will link all four of the books that we discussed today. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye now. We'll see you next week. Bye. This has been an E-Squared production.